listening to the Miss McBookworm podcast, a podcast that brings you stories from Christian women. What I envision for this podcast is a space for women who write fiction to share their stories in audio form and ultimately to tell God's bigger stories through our smaller ones. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Here's two chapters from Make a Wish by Marlene Jerome. Chapter 31 At the Master's Feet I have known Kathy since we were both in our early 20s. Kathy is the most faithful, long-suffering child of God I have ever known. All her life, all she ever wanted to do was to serve God as a medical missionary in India, helping the poorest of the poor. Instead, 20 years ago, she contracted Lyme's disease, which went undiagnosed for over 15 years. The disease has made it impossible for her to work a job or have any kind of normal life. She has never been married nor had children and still lives with her mom, who was recently diagnosed with cancer. Despite her complete isolation, now going on decades, Kathy remains cheerful, upbeat, and faithful. She has thrown herself into Bible studies and reading is the only pleasure left to her. This is my wish for Kathy, and this book would not have been complete without it. Update. In July of 2012, my dear friend finally went home to be with the Lord. When I got the letter from her mother, I immediately burst into tears. But all I could think of was how happy I was for her. Kathy had wanted to go home for so long and just be with the Lord she loved so much as well as to have an end to all her suffering. I still have the letter she wrote me telling me how much the story meant to her, and I'm glad that her legacy of persevering faith will live on as others like you read about her. At the Master's Feet It was noon, and Kathy woke up slowly. The medication she took to dull the constant pain made it impossible to wake up any earlier. She opened her eyes to find large male feet in a pair of sandals on the floor directly across from her. Her gaze traveled up, 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 her heart thumping, until they froze upon the face of someone she had never thought to see on this side of heaven. Kathy, he said, offering his hand to her. Unable to tear her eyes from his beloved face, she put her small hand into his large, warm one and felt a thrill run through her body. She felt lighter, wide awake, and completely free of pain. Come, he beckoned, opening her bedroom door. Is this my time to, to, uh, you know? She couldn't quite say the words. Jesus looked at her. No, not yet, he answered. Kathy nodded and followed him through the door. She suddenly found herself standing in a dwelling made of stone. There was a bustle of activity as men and women rushed to and fro, carrying baskets of dates and figs and large clay pitchers. A dark-haired woman with a flustered look on her face was pointing and directing all her servants, while at the same time kneading dough and minding a spit upon which a lamb was slowly roasting. Kathy looked about her in awe, realizing that somehow she had gone back in time and was seeing a familiar scene from the Bible played out before her very eyes. She looked down at herself and found that she was no longer wearing 21st century sleepwear, but long flowing robes of hand-woven linen, 
and her hair was down past the small of her back, but covered in a veil. She no longer felt any pain or exhaustion, just a sense of wonder and awe. She went off to do a little exploring and found a middle-aged man pouring wine into vessels and talking to some other men. Yes, it is just as you have heard, he was saying. I wasn't asleep or unconscious. I was in Abraham's bosom. I saw and heard things that I can't even begin to describe to you. I saw our patriarchs, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses, and I even saw the gulf fixed between Sheol and Abraham's bosom with our rich neighbor on the other side, who died shortly after I did. He was begging for someone to go to his brothers and warn them, but Moses assured him that none would listen. At that moment he turned and noticed Kathy standing there with her mouth agape. So the story of the rich man and Lazarus wasn't a parable, she had been thinking. To her surprise, Lazarus opened his arm and beckoned her closer. This is my sister Mary, he said to the others, meaning Kathy. She can vouch as to the validity of my death. Isn't that so, sister? Kathy wasn't about to contradict a biblical character and ruin her daydream, so she just nodded her head up and down in agreement. Lazarus gave her a brotherly hug, and she took that as her cue to go. She moved on to other rooms of the house, which were still bustling with activity, as more and more guests flowed into the house. She eventually wound up in the room where Jesus was reclining and decided to sit down at his feet. He offered her some warm pita bread and hummus. Hathi was hesitant to eat it. It had been years since she had deviated from her simple and wearisome diet of plain chicken, oatmeal, and peanut butter. The thought of putting anything else into her stomach and what it might do to her later was terrifying. Do not fear, he comforted her. Eat. Kathy popped it into her mouth and closed her eyes with pleasure. It was delicious. If only because it was such a complete change of venue but mostly because it had come directly from her Savior's own hand. Might as well enjoy myself while I'm here, she thought to herself, and began to help herself to everything with relish. While she ate, Jesus lay reclined on the cushions that were spread across the floor, and Kathy followed suit, not knowing what else to do. Then he began to speak to her and tell her stories, stories that had never been recorded in the Gospel accounts. Kathy was transfixed not only by his words, but by his face and eyes as well, which never left hers, eyes that were deep, bottomless wells of infinite love. All else in the room faded away into insignificance as he spoke. Master, came an irritated voice from across the room. All activity in the room paused to stare at the lady of the house, who stood sweating with her hands upon her hips in exasperation. To make matters worse, she was glaring at Kathy as if she had committed a grievous social faux pas. A weird feeling of deja vu came over Kathy. The woman continued pointing an accusing finger at Kathy. Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, Jesus said, shaking his head and laying his hand upon Kathy's shoulder protectively. You are worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few are necessary. Really, only one. 
for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken from her. Suddenly Kathy found herself back in her bedroom, in her bedclothes, with her Bible opened upon her lap. She blinked a few times and looked up, and was amazed to still see her Savior sitting there. He was looking upon her with such love and compassion it made her want to weep. My daughter, he said, cupping her trembling chin in his warm hand, all thy life you have grieved the fact that you have been unable to serve me as a nurse in a foreign land. But I am here to tell you that I have chosen the way of Mary for you. Do not regret the long years of pain and isolation, for in them you have been given the gift of sitting at my feet and learning of me. There is no greater sacrifice I could ask, or gift I can bestow than this. In all thy trials you have proved thyself a good and faithful servant, and in thee I am well pleased. Kathy bowed her head, overwhelmed, tears dripping from her eyes. When she lifted her head again, he was gone, but she could still feel his presence in the room. No matter what lay ahead in the days to come, she knew she was in the center of his perfect will. And that was enough. Chapter 51 A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes This is my true life wish fulfillment. It is not a story I wrote, but describes actual events from my life about meeting my real-life Prince Charming, my husband, Michael. It was 1978. I was 18 and had never gone out on a date nor had a boyfriend. I wasn't weird-looking, but it seemed as though God had put a large kiss-off sign on my forehead to keep members of the opposite sex away. I was commuting to Los Angeles daily on the public bus to attend the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising, FIDM, where the chances of meeting a normal, nice Christian male interested in the opposite sex were extremely dismal. I had just become a Christian the year before and was spending my hour-long commute nagging the Lord daily about wanting to go out on a date. I was feeling quite desperate. On one particular day, I think the good Lord had had enough of my kvetching, and while lucky dipping through my Bible, the following scripture jumped off the page at me. I could almost actually hear the Holy Spirit yelling the verse at me. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. At the same time, a still, small voice in my head told me to write a story that would portray my wishes being fulfilled. I went home that day and uncovered my Smith Corona typewriter and began typing away. The title of the book was Jesus Wavewalker, Jesus Joy Giver, a pretty lame title now that I look back on it, but it turned out to be a pretty prophetic story. I put myself in as the main character and described how the Lord called me up on the phone to take me out on a date and during that date he introduced me to the man he had chosen for me. At this point I must digress and tell you the name for my future husband, whoever he was, was always Michael. I prayed for Michael by name and even made a list of all the attributes I desired in my future mate. A good Christian, funny, handsome, to me anyway, had a large family, nice friends, a good work ethic, Responsible, trustworthy, kind, handy, played guitar, and, oh yes, had kept himself pure from women. Whenever I would tell my friends this last item, they would shake their heads at me and whisper, Good luck, 
under their breath. I finished my short story naming the character of the man he had chosen for me as Michael. Then I illustrated my book, drawing myself in the way I wished I looked, as well as my dream man, Michael. Fast forward four years. I was in my eighth or ninth college and career church retreat in the hopes of meeting a nice Christian boy. In the past four years, I had left FIDM, gotten a job, and moved to Orange County, met my first love, Barry, who had died four months previous from a brain aneurysm, and was still grieving, even though my feelings for him had been unrequited. I was friends with a house full of Christian men, but was still being treated like one of the guys. I was quickly becoming resigned to the fact that I was going to die an old maid when I looked across the crowded room of the retreat's dining room and saw a face that caught my eye. Just like that verse in the song, Some Enchanted Evening in South Pacific. He was pretty handsome, and I remember thinking that he was probably too stuck up to talk to me. The next thing I knew, he was sitting next to me. We exchanged polite smiles and introduced ourselves. Hi, I said. My name is Marlene. I'm Michael, was his reply. My ears perked up, but I said nothing about his name for fear of scaring him away. Interesting, I thought. We talked politely for a few minutes, then said our goodbyes when breakfast was done. From that moment on, I was his shadow. We ended up talking for hours about cartoons, my first loves, and his first love the fact that I was a messianic Jew, and on and on until the stars came out and it was time to go to our respective cabins. It had snowed that weekend, despite being April, and we threw snowballs at each other the next day. I didn't even mind when he put his arm around me and kissed my forehead, which normally would have scared me off. The last day of the retreat I was starting to fret, because Michael still had not asked for my phone number. After Sunday morning's Bible study, we would all be going our separate ways, and if he didn't ask for my phone number, I would probably never see him again. With that in mind, I asked to see his Bible. He handed it over to me, and I wrote my name and phone number inside the front cover and handed it back, reasoning that I would rather come off as forward than die a spinster. The following day, back at home, I told my roommate about meeting Michael and how we had hit it off. As I left our apartment to visit Barry's parents, I gave her some very specific instructions. Now, Teresa, if a guy by the name of Michael calls, don't say anything to him, but call me at the Henriette's house and let me know. She agreed, and to my delight, while I was having dinner with Ruth and Al, she called and sang out, Michael called. I was ready at that moment to call him right back, impatient person that I am but I distinctly felt the Lord instructing me to wait an entire day. If you know me at all, you would know what absolute torture this was, but I obeyed and waited. The next day I called Michael back and in a very nonchalant voice said, Hi, I heard you called yesterday. Little did he know that I was jumping up and down for glee at that moment. Then Michael asked me out on a date for the following weekend with his sister, her husband, and another couple to go to Westwood to see the re-release of Fantasia. I went right out and bought myself a whole new outfit for the occasion, and when I opened the door of my apartment the following Saturday and saw Michael standing there, I couldn't help but think, oh my, is he ever handsome. After the movie, we went to Hamburger Hamlet for dinner as a sixum, 
Little did I know until several years later that something very unusual took place during that date while I was in the ladies' room. His sister's friend, Tina, who had never laid eyes on me until that night, had turned to Michael's sister, Debbie, and asked her, Well, what do you think of Marlene? She seems nice, had been Debbie's polite response. Well, that's Michael's future wife, Tina informed everyone. Michael was instantly incensed. He couldn't stand this girl and how opinionated she was, so the fact that she had just said this to him instilled the exact opposite reaction. No way now, were his thoughts at the time. But God had other plans. We dated for the next four years, but nine months into our relationship I finally got up the courage to show him my story, with his name and face in it. It was a good thing I had waited until he was really hooked, because if I had shown it to him early in our relationship, he would have hightailed it for the hills. Almost five years after we met, we were married. I put my prophetic story on display at our reception so everyone could see how God had brought us together, and haven't seen it since. It simply disappeared. My list? Oh, yes. Michael fulfilled everything I had put on my list, including the last item. That was 24 years ago, and we are still happily married. Michael and I were recently discussing that story and my history of other men avoiding me like they had seen a giant kiss-off sign plastered on my forehead, when Michael said one of the sweetest things to me I have ever heard. Well, honey, I didn't see the words kiss-off on your forehead, he reassured me, planting a tender kiss on said spot. I saw the words... Kiss here. Those were two chapters from Make a Wish by Marlene Jerome. I'm Jerry Steele, and this has been the Ms. McBookworm Podcast. Thank you for listening.